Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. And I'm Matthew Derrigish. You're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Today, we are joined by Brian Jacob, our brother in podcasting arms over at the Ultimate Spin. How's it going today, Brian? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, today, the three of us are going to tackle Web of Spider-Man number eight and number nine, local superhero and the Twilight superhero, or superheroes. Both stories are written by David Michelini and penciled by Jeff Isherwood, inked by Vince Coletta and edited by Jim Owsley. Then issue number eight was colored by Bob Sharon and lettered by Janice Chang, while issue nine was colored by George Russos and lettered by Janice Chang. Um, For those playing the home game, like a lot of the stories we cover, these two issues are not available through the normal digital channels, uh, that is Marvel Unlimited or Comixology. Web of Spider-Man does have an Essentials Collection trade. Uh, You'll have to grab it secondhand, though, as it's out of print. The individual issues are cheap. I was able to find both of these in the dollar bin. So if you care about the color and maybe don't care about the other issues in that essential volume, which you should, they're actually pretty good. Uh, you know, you can pick these two issues up pretty cheap. But before we dive straight into the story, Brian, this one was your pick. Uh, what guided you to this comic? Did you have any history or memories associated with this one? Was this like a first issue for you or something? Kind of, yeah. So I'm... A little bit older than you guys, I think. So, yeah, November 85, um, around that time uh, when this issue came out. uh, I was a kid. I was um, 11 years old and really into comic books and Spider-Man. That's when comics were super cheap, right? This is 65 cents. Um, And I just was drawn to that cover. The black costume was still a relatively new thing at the time. It was you know been out for a little over a year or so and it just popped on the on the spinner rack uh, for me so i grabbed it um and of course that cover beautiful charles vest image um had nothing to do with the story inside but i really liked this story because it's kind of a kind of ever uh, evergreen story in a lot of ways it doesn't really play into the larger continuity um it's it's short and uh, I was about to say short and sweet, but as we'll get into, it's it's not very sweet as, as the story goes on. Um, but yeah, it was one of those. It was one of the first comics I had picked up with my own money. And comics, when you especially like if you go back and reread older issues, they're they're written very differently. There's actually a lot more to read, um, and so I got caught up in the in the script and the writing of it, um, and these ideas that we've seen, you know, told many times over and over again, but. Uh, this is one of the first times I was exposed to it, and I thought Michelinie's writing was was really moving in a lot of ways. So, yeah, this is one of those issues, like I said, is one of the first ones I bought, and so I read it over and over and over again. Definitely. Those issues always stick with you. And for me, this is the first time I read it. Uh, it, it really called on something like The Legends of the Dark Knight or The Tales of the Ninja Turtles to me, you know, something that's set with, we all know who Spider-Man is, what his deal is. Let's do a story that takes him outside of the normal Mew. And just putting him in Pennsylvania really set this story apart for me. Uh, definitely. I always love hearing these stories about, you know, people's people's first comics or like the first ones they buy because, 
you know, my, my first comic that I bought was the last issue of One More Day. So I, I feel like, <laughs> like like these these warm memories were stolen from me. So I, I get to live vicariously through through you guys uh, <laughs> talking about this or, or Matt talking about the uh, unreadable Mary Jane script in Death of the Octopus or whichever whichever one it was that that was his first um but yeah okay so so moving into the story um kind of touching on on what you were talking about brian with this uh kind of the evergreen story these these ones always appeal to me these kind of stories about like the big hero moving into the small town and and kind of just righting a wrong even though not not necessarily that's not necessarily what happens here but i I don't know if that just appeals to me because i grew up in a very small semi-rural town i'm not quite sure how you would describe the town i grew up because but um this this prelude that it starts out with documented like how fred got his powers um and then the really intense displays of racial discrimination within smithville which was not touched upon in late in in the rest of the story at least not in a way that i saw um reading reading this now as as an adult did you guys was did that also throw you guys off or or what, what do you think what do you think was was the the goal there I can tell you as a kid reading this, I would have been like 10 or 11 at the time. It really shook me up. And so for the benefit of your listeners, uh, Fred Hopkins is, works at a bank and he uh, makes plans to go out with a coworker of his. Uh, they're going to go to a orchestra concert or something like that. And Fred is waiting for his friend. And it turns out his friend is being assaulted in an alley um, and being like tarred and feathered and this awful sign hung around his neck that just says Jew boy. And they're using, uh, excuse me, they're using epithets. Uh, the guys beating him up uh, against his friend Irving. That really rattled me. I hadn't seen anything like that in a comic book of all places. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, I found it really unnerving and unusual for, uh, for Spidey comics, certainly. Uh, and it really pulled me into the story and just how scary and awful it was. And it's just, as far as an origin story goes for a new superhero, it was it was pretty intense. So I guess did, what I'm saying is I, I'm drawing on my memories of reading it the first time as opposed to, you know, seeing it now as, a, as an adult. Right. I mean, like, e- even as an adult, you know, at 28 years old, uh, you know, just reading the story, uh, you know, it, it's still jarring. Like, you don't you don't see things like that in comics now. And I guess I guess. I, I guess my whole point in bringing this up was that it does make for a very jarring and alarming um, origin story. And it does give like a good Genesis of why this guy decided he was going to take up costume, you know, crime fighting was because there was the, you know, these, these horrible ruffians that were going in, you know, the, the additional examples, you know, within the prelude of them just targeting people of, you know, targeting minorities. But it, it just it kind of gives a false start to the comic because I was expecting something along the lines of like uh, Daredevil Redemption. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's it's a where Daredevil goes to a small rural town in Alabama and kind of fights d- discrimination. And so I was I was expecting something along those lines, but the the story itself actually deals more with the the has been attitude that uh fred slash the smithville thunderbolt has 
So I, I was I was a little I'm not I'm not gonna say let down because it's never fun to read a comic book filled with with harsh racial themes, but race racist themes. But uh, it it still kind of threw me for a loop. I, yeah, it is a bit of a harsh transition from going with uh, that sign that you brought up, Ryan. You know, Jew boy hung around someone's neck to kind of a time jump to more than now, and now we have the same guy setting up you know, mischiefs that he can swing in and look like the hero, which is what happens relatively quickly in the story. It's a, it's a harsh setup for uh, where it goes. Yeah, I guess to your point, Kane, I mean, in an idealized world, maybe Fred's actions as the Thunderbolt in the 50s, like, kind of put things to rights. And, you know, the, you can imagine, like, maybe that element was intimidated or it was toned down somehow. I mean, it we all know in the real world it never truly goes away and it operates on different levels. But I guess that leading into where he is now, like he's done what he he could and he's not really relevant anymore. So he's finding these ridiculous ways to remain relevant, which is where Peter gets drawn into the story. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that, that sounds good enough for me. I'm, I'm pleased. <laughs> like, all right, we've, we've smoothed that, uh, that over. Uh, this is now like a 10 out of 10 story. No. <laughs> um, let's see. So we've got, we got Peter moving in and then he meets this, uh, this like cutthroat reporter, uh, was Roxanne de Winters. Um, how, how did you guys feel about her? Like her introduction? We have, uh, we have a few different like female, uh, news, agents i guess is the word introduced within these pages of of web of spider-man just a few issues prior to this in uh number five we have uh oh what's her name um kate catherine cuddly cushing catherine cushing uh introduced as kind of a female-esque jjj type at least in that story and then here we have um Roxanne de Winters. Uh, how do you guys feel about her character? She more so than uh, the difficult to name to remember. What Ludlow? Uh, oh, you know, Ludlow. She, <laughs> Ludlow. Yeah, she plays the villain almost uh, in, in this more so than you know the the superpowered bad guy, quote unquote. Yeah, Brian. Uh, did you have any memories of how they were dealing with the the media shown here? Yeah, so she's a, she's a local reporter, and this is her, her big break, right? So, um, yeah, as, as the story plays out, she she is in a lot of ways the, the true villain of the piece. But here, yeah, she's just kind of irritating, like almost in the way uh, of what, you know, of Peter. Because obviously this is Peter's series, and you, you want to find out, you know, how he's going to get tied into this. And so she's kind of an obstacle he's got to navigate around. Um so she's annoyed at him at first for kind of breaking, you know, or trying to take her scoop on the Thunderbolt. And then the minute she finds out, no, he's from, you know, quote, the big city, he's from the Bugle, like, whoa, hey. And so she pours on the charm and uh, tries to see if um, she can ride his coattails and, and land her, her big gig. Right. I, so, yeah, I found her I found her smarmy and distrustful right away. <laughs> I, I was kind of shocked because I, I looked her up after reading the story and I was kind of shocked that she never came in to kind of have a minor bit with the bugle because she seems like such a strong character to bring up the media angle as throughout the years with Spider-Man, we've had a number of uh, 
less than virtuous journalists that have passed through the Beagle's doors, and I thought this would be another interesting angle to follow up on that theme. But uh, this is this is the uh, only tale she shows up in, and I thought that was so, somewhat unfortunate because she's a great heel. Oh, oh, definitely, because the whole time you're reading the story, you're expecting her to eventually be moved by some sort of grand sacrifice by the Smithville Thunderbolt and and rescind and say like well no no I'll, I'll honor your secret but no she goes ahead like she does that but then goes ahead and publishes it anyway which leads to you know the ending where the Smithville Thunderbolt commits suicide because of the the expose she she put out and then you're expecting her to, you know, in the last panel, like, realize what she's done. But no, she just takes a picture of his body uh, for the next story. So definitely a, like, shrewd and, I, I guess, uh, I don't want to say emotionless character, but... I think ruthless, right? Yeah, ruthless. Ruthless is the word I'm looking for. And so, yeah, like, it, it would have been interesting to see her maybe pop up and some a few other stories because she would play you know the heel to peter parker's good journalist where he only wants to sell pictures of himself fighting <laughs> villains <laughs> but let's let's talk about that ending uh a little bit because it was definitely unexpected to say the least um you know we, we've seen a lot of these stories before um you know the, it even starts up with that or the first issue follows that pretty typical Marvel team-up story where you have a misunderstanding or a misunderstanding they fight, but then they they go and fight a greater villain. And, you know, this one, it starts that. There's the misunderstanding. Spider-Man shows up to Rumble, but then instead of seeing the all-powerful Smithville Thunderbolt, he instead sees the very sad and kind of broken Fred Hopkins. And that's when it breaks away from uh formula but it it does break away from the formula and i do want to reiterate here um this guy was you know superhumanly buff via a space rock that came down which also imbued the other uh superhero character with his powers as well so they don't spend a lot of time delving into the how or why they got their powers just space rock super strength boom (laughs) right (laughs) But uh, this Fred Hopkins uh, has had a strength fade, and he's using prosthetics, basically, to give the appearance that he's still super strong, um, like uh, arm casings that make him look super ripped, which was a really neat visual gag to see them depict in a comic, too. Because normally, you know, you just kind of paint uh, more or less a naked super guy and then just paint on the clothes with the coloring. Uh, and this was playing with that. And I, I just thought that was a great storytelling through art in that one moment. It, I found that whole confessional scene really just tragic. I mean, as he's explaining it, like, yes, his powers have faded and he's, you know, uh, relying on, you know, this exoskeleton that he's somehow figured out how to build by himself um, because comic books. But then I guess it's kind of this neat counterpoint to Peter as Spider-Man that, Fred, he he just flat out says, like, he didn't have anything else going on in his life. Like, that was it. His whole thing had become, had been poured into being this hero. And now that it was gone, he just didn't know what to do with himself. 
and he was hanging onto it in a in a less than ethical manner. But, you know, he was kind of justifying it to himself that, you know, he was somehow still doing the right thing and kind of maintaining the, the illusion or the story of it, the legend. I, I guess that's interesting to me because I didn't get any real parallel to Peter at all uh, because I imagine if Peter lost his powers for the most part, you know, he always tries to be the hero whenever that happens, you know, every third month or whatever. But uh, this guy wasn't necessarily trying to be the hero he was just chasing the glory and i imagine when spider-man is able to put the webs away for real in a emotionally satisfying way he would step away and focus on family or work or whatever and this guy was setting up looney tunes-esque shenanigans like using a saw to cut a hole in a wall so he could burst through to appear like he was dramatically coming in to save kids from whatever <laughs> yeah no maybe, maybe parallel is the wrong choice uh, maybe like mirror or like dark mirror you know just a a different take on that idea yeah i i mean i i definitely got vibes of the you know amazing 15 uh amazing fantasy 15 origin here i think mostly from the tragedy uh, angle of all of this um, you know all those amazing fantasies uh, anthologies had kind of a uh, tragic twist to them at the end and I felt like this this definitely had that just because you know he he feels he he hears this mob forming outside of his house and commits suicide uh, understandably because he you know he feels all the shame and thinks they're there to to riot but they're they're trying to throw a you know impromptu celebration of him and thank him for all the things he's done but he you know he doesn't have the presence of mind to actually i guess look out the window and see what the mob's about before shooting himself but uh i i definitely i definitely see some parallels at least through the story structure uh Maybe maybe not necessarily to the Spider-Man character itself. Speaking of tragedy, though, in my estimation, uh, Ludlow Grimes, or the, the other guy who's trying to become the new Thunderbolt, was the true tragic character that I empathize more with uh, by the end. He was... His story is glazed by very quickly, but he he's apparently a little slower, but imbued with the strength of the magic rock and then he's told that he's an agent of the devil by the local priest and so he goes and lives on the mountainside near the city trying to find some way to redeem himself because he wants to be he wants to be a hero but it seems like he only wants to be a hero so people can respect him like he just wants to live in his community and this is the only way he seems to be able to think to come around to it and I thought that was such a tragic story, but the way it's set up, he's just kind of a foil more than anything else. Well, you, you can you can see kind of uh, Hopkins and Ludlow. I, I feel as, as two two opposites of the the Spider-Man extreme, where where Hopkins is the the showboating, the grandstanding, you know, maybe pre-Uncle Ben Spider-Man, but still <laughs> the same kind of Spider-Man that comes out when he's, you know, mocking mocking a villain and showboating, whatever. And then you have Ludlow, on the other hand, I mean, that, that's the threat or the menace, you know, that, that's, the, that's the hunted Spider-Man, and that's, 
that's the one that the society doesn't quite understand or even pushes aside because they see him as a freak. I mean, his origin was that he accidentally destroys his house trying to swat a fly and his wife gathers the kids and screams at him to get out and calls him inhuman. I mean, if, if that's not like, <laughs> if that's, if that's not a Spider-Man story, just, you know, yeah. then, then what is, um, you know, trying to do something, something right. Or like, you know, trying to relate to your family and then messing it up because of these superpowers. Um, right. I think I got caught up on the religious implications uh, because of where the story started with that Jew boy sign. So I was making that parallel hmm. more than where you were, which I think is more apt to the story. I do want to give Michelinie credit for how he ties everything together with, uh, you know, Roxy's got her scoop and she wants to drive off to, to get it submitted and then she has trouble along the way. There's an accident. But then it turns out Fred set up another kind of fake disaster. But then Ludlow comes in and a brawl happens and Spider-Man gets caught up in the middle of this. And the van uh, that Roxy is in gets kind of thrown over the side of a cliff. And Fred, who is powerless, actually has a moment of bravery and a, a moment to shine where he risks his life to kind of climb down and pull her out to safety. Right. And, and you're expecting that moment because like, like, I, like I said earlier, you know, that you're, you're expecting a redemption arc. And I, I like that there's, there's the fake out because, you know, when, when the boulders show up and, and, or whatever, whatever it was, the boulders falling, like that's what you were expecting for the redemption arc, but then they, they pull it out from under you and Spider-Man discovers the, the, the remote control rocks or whatever. But, <laughs> right. But but then but then you actually get the the redemption arc and then you're like all right well then, then this is it then she's gonna she's gonna turn over her leaf but she doesn't um, so yeah definitely kudos because it, I mean it's like having your cake and eating it too uh, which is a turn of phrase I've never quite understood but <laughs> but uh, you know because you you get to both employ that redemption arc but also kind of um, subvert it at the same time so i you know i really enjoyed that i thought that was really smart writing uh, i guess the ending to me rang a little false because whereas um the thunderbolt does save the reporter you know at the end mm -hmm. uh, he still set up this whole contrived thing and she wouldn't have been in the situation if he hadn't slicked the road with oil and had her stop and etc etc she would have just gone on her merry way so Whereas he does ultimately end up saving her life in a true fashion, it wouldn't have occurred if he hadn't have set everything up to begin with. I don't know. Well, I'm, I, I guess I guess that's true, but and it wasn't brought up in the narration or anything. But had he let her just fall, his uh, issue with her would have been. You know, <laughs> <Right>. solved a <laughs> problem solved <laughs> yeah that would have been one really neat ending for him like well all right uh you know as long as spider-man doesn't say anything which uh, <laughs> you'd only have to endure what a three-hour lecture about uh power and responsibility <laughs> that's right oh man well then um poor guy i mean at the end shield shows up out of nowhere and they signed ludlow up like hey you can come be one of our Your agents and like needs you yeah like poor fred like he could have joined them as some kind of you know engineer with all the gear he's building right that or at least become like the fifth or sixth mysterio like <laughs> that's right fifth or sixth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well um are there any other points you guys want to touch on since we we've kind of reached the end of the comic 
No, I mean, as I as I mentioned up front, like I, I like this story because it could really it could happen anywhere, anytime. I mean, you could even put out today with a couple of touch ups to account for the changes in technology. But it's a it's a neat, sad little tale. Definitely. It, it, it tugs at the heartstrings. And I, again, really appreciate the way it both like subverts and employs a lot of these these common tropes and these uh, superhero stories. So uh, with that, with that, uh, Matt, would you call this one uh, or I'm sorry, Matt, would you rather this one be untold or should it be reissued for new readers? I think this issue should be reissued. Uh, it... <laughs> My feelings won't be hurt. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I, I think this is a good story, but to lead right into the next bit, um, I don't think this is much of a Spider-Man story, which is fine. In some ways, I wonder if this story would have been stronger without Spider-Man. And it, you know, it's a good comic, but um, at the end of the day, he, he doesn't really need to be here. <laughs> Well, I mean, his presence is what sets all this off. I mean, without Spider-Man going and finding the spider tracer, he never would have discovered Fred Hopkins, uh, you know, pajamas, which quite literally they're pajamas. He says he calls them, put some long johns and some markers and there you go. Uh, um, But, you know, I'll I'll say this one should be retold as well. Uh, Maybe, maybe as kind of like a, in an annual or something like I feel like if if I picked up a copy of Amazing Spider-Man and this was the story I'd be like well that like kind of like what you said like that wasn't necessarily truly a Spider-Man story but I feel as in you know the third string Spider-Man uh you know title or or like as 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 the second part to an annual I thought this would be really good because there are kind of those Spider-Man analogs in the story uh that like I talked about so I definitely think I, I don't I don't feel like I wasted my time reading this, um, and that that's really my ultimate uh, gauge on untold or or reissued for me. Like, did I enjoy reading this? Do I felt like it was a waste of time? Was I like, wow, I could have been reading another Spider-Man story? Why did I choose this one? And I I, I enjoyed this one, so I'm gonna say um, reissued. All right, and. And I feel like since since Brian, you picked this one on the show, I feel like we we underst- or we we can guess your uh, thoughts on this one. But just just so we get the the whole picture, uh, had, had reissued or untold? Sure, I I'd, I'd I'd love to see it reissued. Um, I think that's an interesting question. Does it feel like a Spider-Man story? To me, it does only because he's the character we're identifying with, and I think his perspective on things helps inform how some of these scenes are interpreted especially that last sequence you know as it all culminates in in poor fred's fate and then roxanne's reaction i think that underscores like yeah stuff is going to happen you know peter this whole time is trying to do the right thing life doesn't always work out that way but that doesn't mean you know we have to be cynical and go along with it like what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and i think that to me, that's that's where it felt like a Spider-Man story, maybe a Peter Parker story, if that makes sense. But um, in terms of action and stuff, maybe not so much. But in, in terms of characterization, I think having him there affected how I how I read the story. Certainly at the time, and certainly rereading it now. And yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that wholeheartedly. Like uh, more so a Peter Parker story than a Spider-Man story, but still still one that I I feel like 
fits within the greater mythos as as i like to say so um also i i would point out mm -hmm. to the greater mythos like the way spider-man is read in here is he's unquestionably considered the moral character by which every other character is judged and so in a lot of ways at this point from where we start out with spider-man in you know the early years kind of questioning where he's going to go or if he's doing the right thing here he's the character by which we're judging all the other characters as they just said so it, it feels like he's come around in so much of a way that he's just the definitive hero the way we, i think we more think of him now as an interesting break for sure for sure so all right so i, I think i think we're all landed landed there where where we want to land um next for for the next part uh, the ranking board um let's see so our current ranking is number one child within number two vibes number three pumping up number four family business number five that marvel team-up story with the wraith uh, number six soul the hunter number seven marvel knights number eight cosmic carnage and number nine trouble Matt, where do you want to, where would you place this one? Because I, I feel like we're going to have some contention here. Probably not as much as Trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not going to be another 40, 40, 40 minute episode of us screaming at each other. Well, but I, I feel it's totally fair. Brian, I don't know how familiar you are with the stories on this list, but would you have any uh, throw as to where you'd put this story on the list? Well, yeah, that's, it's a little tricky for me because I haven't read all these, um, but I I think this would probably, I'm just going to take a guess, fall on the lower end of the scale. I mean, maybe. Right now, the, the list is still growing, and there's some fairly strong stories up at the top, I feel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the bottoms, it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the, the way I look at it, uh, you know, our, our top five um, kind of represent you know, stories that are, are well executed and, you know, actualize what they want to to uh, to say. And then starting from Soul of the Hunter and maybe Marvel Knights, which uh, those are stories that had, had good ideas and parts worked, but perhaps parts didn't work. And then the bottom of the list, Cosmic Carnage and Trouble, stories that did not work you know, really at all. Uh, um, so, and so I would put this one more in the middle of the pack than, than down toward the bottom. Uh, I think, I think personally, I would put this one below soul of the hunter, but above Marvel Knights. Oh, um, I, I, yeah, I think that's a fair place to put it. Um, I, I was thinking more in line with, um, right above, because I, I was looking at that Marvel team up issue and, that is also a solidly told story. I mean, really, the only reason I'm punching this down on this list is because it's, uh, to me, not as much of a Spider-Man story, and this is a Spider-Man list. But I think this is a commonly told story. It has a few hang-ups. So I think right where you put it is a strong place. Whoa, I was bracing for a, a huge brawl. <laughs> I, you know, I yeah. was too. Um, you know, the, the, the Trouble episode isn't out yet, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, we come, to, we almost come to blows. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, like, all right." Um, so yeah, Whew. yeah, wow, that was much less contentious than I thought it was going to be. Awesome. Um, 
you know, I love it when mom and dad get together and, <laughs> you know, agree on something. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Uh, it really helps others find us and also fills us with warm fuzzies. If our show gives you warm fuzzies, please consider joining the amazing Spider Talk Patreon. $3.99 a month gets you exclusive access to the untold talks of Spider-Man B-Title reviews, the amazing Spider-Talks, amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as access to the members-only section of our Slack channel, the amazing Spider-Slack. For those who have a severe case of the warm fuzzies, we have a second tier, the Excelsior Club. Uh, $10 a month nabs you commissioned artwork twice a year from Spider-Man artists you know and love in addition to the previous tier. Uh... Thank you again to Brian Jacob from The Ultimate Spin for coming onto the show today. Brian, our listeners probably have a good idea already, but for those who don't, where can we find you on the internet? Well, Kane and Matt, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me on. I had a good time, and thank you for indulging my, my really off-the-wall pick here today. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes, to check out our what I'm up to, uh, The Ultimate Spin podcast uh, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all those places. Just search for Ultimate Spin. And you can find our main website with show notes and our social media and all that good stuff at ultimatespinpodcast.com. Great. Well, off-the-wall shows or off-the-wall issues are the name of the game here. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to have you on uh, again next time. Or not next time, but another time. <laughs> no, uh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we can talk about another web of Spider-Man story, maybe four and five. Those, <laughs> maybe, those, yeah. Hmm. Those, those right. numbers just jump, jump to my head. No, no real reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, how about you? Where can we find you on the internet? You can always find me on Twitter at MagicalMatt42, or you can find me on the Spider Slack channel where all the cool kids are hanging around yeah you you tried to uh get some bites on someone to talk to you about teenage mutant ninja turtles there and i had to remind you that uh <laughs> this was the uh, unread turtles of spider slack uh, um you can find me on twitter under the handle kane writes uh you can also find our show on twitter untold talks spmn you find us on facebook under untold talks of spider-man or you can find, uh, or you can also email us at untoldtalksofspiderman at gmail.com. Uh, also want to give a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you want to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, check out the show notes for the links. All right, since we have a guest today, I'll let him do the sign off. Uh, Brian, lead us out. All right, until the next time, Spider-Man has to punch his way free from an avalanche of paper mache boulders. Make mine untold all right there we go